We're headed into a, a, a series from the Psalms. We're in Psalm 135 today. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll bring you one right from the back. We want everybody to have a Bible where you can read it yourself. Psalm 135, you crack the Bible open in the middle and you'll see it. We're calling this series Beyond because God is, 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 the knowledge of God and everything that he does is just so far above, beyond us, and yet he reaches down to us to call us his own. And so today I'm entitling Psalm 135, A Glimpse of God. We're actually going to, we finally got organized on this psalm thing in the summer. We're going to do them in order, Psalm 135, 136, 137, 138, 139. So you can be reading ahead if you want. But this is one of the psalms of ascent that they would, as they were ascending to Jerusalem, they would sing it together. So it was a traveling song on their way to have worship in Jerusalem. And Derek Kidner points out that every verse in this, this is kind of unique about this psalm, every verse in this can be found somewhere else in the Bible as well. So none of this is original material. It was just the, the uh, author or editor's favorites. I mean, it's like somebody's top 40, right? And, and so they've put this list together and say, boy, these are the verses. This is, the, this is what I want my life to be about. This is, this is what I'm going to include. And they've taken uh, actively from other places in the Scripture. I don't know if you've ever tried that to say, well, I'm going to put my top 20 favorite verses together. And... Uh, Pull them from all around the Bible. Here's how it starts. Praise God, because God is good. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it's pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Now, we, we don't always feel it. I don't know that you always wake up that way. Some people do. Of wow, thank you. Good morning, Lord. It's so good. Another fresh day. I probably wake up that way most days, but other people wake up. Good Lord, it's morning. You know, and <laughs> what are we gonna do now? And they have to, you know, work up to this and to choose praise, to choose to bless God with your first breath, and over and over and over to praise His name and even to sing it. It says. For it's pleasant. I mean, he's look who he's talking to. He's talking to the servants of the Lord who stand in God's house. This is regular people who come to the, uh, the Lord's house and to his courts. That's kind of like our gymnasium where we gather and have coffee and donuts. They probably did that same kind of thing. I mean, regular people who are coming to God's house to meet with God and to be with friends and to praise God together. Verse 3, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing to his name for it's pleasant. See, a name e equals somebody's reputation. So when you bring up a name, there's all kinds of thoughts and, and uh, other things that are associated with it. And God has a good reputation. And there's a lot of good reasons for praising God. First off, because he's good. He is good. And it, 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 he's pleasant. And he's joyful. And we praise God because he loves us. It says even praise God with singing. And to praise God is good because it brings us genuine pleasure. It, it fits our deepest longings. I mean, we were created in the image of God. We long to have a relationship with God. And sometimes we don't know how, and we feel like we're you know, all thumbs in the garden. But how do you praise God? With our lives, yes, but also with our lips. And also another reason to praise God is in His grace. God finds us good, looks at us through the sacrifice of Christ, and He says, Good. In fact, verse 3, this is kind of fun, but 
See how it says, praise the Lord, and Lord is in all caps, even though the L is a larger capital letter than the others? When, when they do that in English, what they're trying to tell you is that particular word, Lord, was Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, the, the, the uh, holiest name for God. And the, what you have here, you have that twice in the same line, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. And, and yet, this is a very rare uh, find right here. The first one that says, Lord, you can't see this in your English Bible. You just have to believe me. But it's, um, it's shortened. It's a rare form. Uh, it's just YH. And then the second one is YHWH. So it would be like praise, praise to Yah, for, the, for Yahweh is good. And, and it's kind of, you know, a shortened kind of name. I mean, my name's like that. If, you know, my full name really is Tyler, I learned in kindergarten it would rhyme. It would be Tyler Geiler or Ty Guy, and Ty Guy was faster. You could spell it and get to the sandbox before <laughs> other kids, you know. And um, my mom thought it really was Typhoon, um, <laughs> but my brother was sure it was Tyrant. And um, so that's what happens, right? Any time I, we get a phone call here at church and they want to talk to Tyler Guy, I know they don't know me very well because everybody just calls me Ty. And that's here what I think what the psalmist is saying is, is I know God. I feel close to God. I can use a pet name for him. In fact, I can just use half his name. But it wouldn't really come through if he said in English, praise the low for the Lord is good. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't connect with that. And so just wanted to point some of that out. Then in verse 4, um, I think it's kind of tepid the way they translate it in the English standard version. It says, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel has his own possession. So I went and looked this up. In the King of Jameth, it says his peculiar treasure, that Israel is his peculiar treasure. Or another translation, it says his special treasure or his treasured possession. What he's trying to say is you are precious in God's sight. He considers you his special treasure. He loves you that much. Second little paragraph, you see that God is great and he's motivated by joy. In verse 5, he says, For I know that the Lord is great and that the Lord is above all gods. This, I know, is personal conviction. Here he's been saying, we, 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 we're all singing together. We're all walking the, the, the way to heaven or, or the way to Jerusalem to praise God together. But then he puts in this personal conviction. In fact, the I is emphatic that it might start as a family thing and you're doing it together, but it moves to a personal level. It's not enough to have an uncle who was a pastor or a mom who prayed and went to church regularly or even to go to church yourself as part of a family. The handle on the door of your heart is on the inside. And if you're going to have a relationship with God, you have to be the one to open the door of your heart and invite him to come in. And to be the one that yourself acknowledges, God is great, and invite him into your life. And then look at verse 6. It might be my favorite verse of the whole, whole psalm. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. I mean, God's realm extends to everything everywhere. His authority is unlimited. I mean, and he gives examples here of nature or heaven or earth or seas or clouds or lightning or wind. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. God does what he pleases. Everything God does brings him joy. John Piper has a whole sermon just on this little one verse. I would commend you to go Google it and find it because he's saying... And, and I believe the verse is saying what God does, he does on purpose. And he does it, and it brings him joy. 
I mean, at creation, God created, and what did he say? It's good. And he created something else, he goes, it's good. And he did, uh, created something else and said, it's good. Over and over, it's good, it's good, it's good. He was happy, he was joyful about it. Christ, when Christ was baptized, I mean, the Holy Spirit flew in like a dove. Jesus coming up out of the water. God couldn't help himself. He just burst out so everybody could hear him. This is my beloved son. I am well pleased. I'm really happy with him. I'm very pleased. This is what God was saying. Takes a little turn in Isaiah 53 where it's talking about the one who took our place, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. So the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it goes on to talk about he, he would be abused and battered and broken for you and for me. And then it says, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Why? Because that is the only way for you and for me to be free. He loves you that much that he would allow his own son to be put to death. Jesus picks up on this. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus looked beyond the valley of death that he was facing, and he was looking beyond that to a relationship with you and with me and with every other believer that he would enjoy forever after that. God is a joyful God. He does what he pleases. He can't be bought. He can't be bribed. He owes nobody anything. He owns everything. He has no obligations to anyone that he didn't make himself. <clears throat> and he has no have-tos in his life, only want-tos. And so when God's involved with you, he wants to be involved with you. He's a God of joy. And what he does brings him pleasure. I don't know if you saw in your bulletin, there's a little clip about you can support our mission in Ukraine by going to Chick-fil-A. Now, I know when you go to Chick-fil-A, you will make an order, and the person behind the counter will say, my pleasure, my pleasure. So if you order a Chick-fil-A sandwich, they'll probably say, my pleasure. And if you order a Chick-fil-A deluxe sandwich, they'll probably say, my deluxe pleasure. And if you order a spicy chicken sandwich, they'll say, my spicy pleasure. No, probably not. And I was thinking about this. Do you think the, the teenage server behind the counter really finds pleasure in getting you your lunch? Or are they standing there thinking, only seven and a half more hours and I'll be out of this joint? You know what I'm saying? But with God, it's always true. Whatever God does, he does so, and it brings him pleasure. God's a joyful God. God, and, and he does what he pleases. And that works in your favor when you go and ask him your requests. Because he's just like with your dad or your mom, when they're happy, that's the time to ask. You know what I'm saying? Not when they're upset. And, and God is happy. And he's happy with you. It says in verse 7, He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Now, I got kind of carried away. This was a new thought for me that God actually has storehouses or warehouses just for his weather. I mean, think about it. We get to heaven and God's going to say, would you like a tour of heaven? Well, up there on the hill are those mansions that everybody sings about. But let me show you what I'm really excited about. I've got this warehouse and it's got weather in it. Over here is where I keep my, my uh, volcanic eruptions. Oh, remember Mount St. Helens, how it blew its top 1,200 feet off in one day and it blew ash all around the world? Boy, that really made everybody pray. And besides that, it kind of blew the evolution and billions of years thing right out the window because I can act as fast or as slow as I want to. And, you know, over here is my cold storage for deep winter, and I get it out for some people every year. And 
Then over here is where I keep my storms. Oh, notice that small one in the corner? I already half used that one because that's the one that I put onto the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was taking a nap in the boat of his friends just for fun. I really stirred it up. I was rocking the boat. I was a bit enthusiastic, scared his friends to death. Jesus woke up and told me, knock it off. Okay, well, actually, he said, peace be still. He says, but you didn't catch the look in his eye that said, cool it, Dad. These are my new friends here. It says, God brings forth the wind from his storehouses. And you might not have thought of that before. I never had. But God has the power to do whatever he wants. And whatever he does pleases him. He's a pleased to joyful God. And then the psalmist, just to be sure, recounts how God works and has worked in history. Look at verse 8. It says, He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. Who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants? Who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings? Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to the people Israel. Now, Remember, a lot of this is repeated, and a lot of this is repeated in the next psalm, so I'm saving that for next week. <laughs> okay, so, but I had to go look these guys up. And the epic Exodus event is the main attraction of the Old Testament. It's the main story. It's the big deal that God takes people out of slavery and brings them into freedom in, in the promised land. And he first starts by going to Moses and he says, I have heard their cry for help and I'm going in. And Moses, you're going with me. And Moses says, no, I don't want to. God says, that doesn't matter. You're going with me. And he took him with him. And later when God was explaining the story, he says after he had gotten them out of Egypt and through the, the Red Sea on dry ground and over to the other side and all of Pharaoh's army was drowned, God says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. After God got them out of Egypt... And on their way to the promised land, they had victories over Sihon and Og. Now, I had to look these guys up. They are not in the front lobe. You know what I'm saying? If, uh, who is this? But Sihon was king of the Amorites, and Og was king of Bashan. And uh, those were both in what we call Transjordan today. In other words, they were between Egypt and and Israel. And these guys were in the way. And uh, when Moses got there... Uh, to the edge of the Amorites, he asked, and you can read this for yourself in Numbers 21 or Deuteronomy 3, okay, but he asked uh, King Sihon, could we just pass through your country? Promise, I know there's a couple million of us, but we won't touch a thing. We will just stay on the road. We won't pick anything on the side. We won't leave any mess. We'll just walk right through. And Sihon said, no. And so God said, well, I'll take care of him. I'll just intervene and remove him, and you can have his whole country. And then Og, I mean, he was a big guy. I might need some teenagers to do the math on this, but his, the Bible says his bed was nine cubits by four cubits, and a cubit is 18 inches. So his bed was six feet wide and 13 feet long. Why would you need a bed 13 feet long unless you were very, 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 very tall? He probably thought he was invincible. In fact, in high school, he probably had been a bully. And he would have seemed like an impossible problem to most people most of the time just because of his size. And he'd be like that insurmountable problem that you might have that you go, what do I do with this? Give it to God as a gift. Take the problem that you can't solve by yourself and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to give it to you as a gift, just like we give her offering. Twelve feet tall problem, not for God. 
So the big deal of the Old Testament is that God struck down the firstborn in every family of Egypt to cause them to release the Jews to, to freedom because sin brings death. And the big deal in the New Testament is that Jesus is the one who was struck down because Jesus' death takes your sin away and gives you life forever. So the big deal with Jesus, of course, was his teaching and his miracles and his dying as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and rising from the dead and becoming King of kings and Lord of lords and inserting the Holy Spirit into his people and establishing the church. Now the big, day in our, big deal here in our day, 2,000 years later, isn't nearly as dramatic but we've seen God at work. We're more like the guy who took a girl on a first date and she said, what do you do? And he said, well, I, I work at a button factory, but it's not nearly as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> but when we see people who are getting saved and coming to Jesus and getting right with God, I think back to one that I think was more dramatic of a, a couple that came to me and they said, we want to get right with God. They said, we've been living together eight years and we know that's not right. And Rudy just found out that he has cancer and isn't going to live very long. So we want to get right with God. We want to be baptized. We want to get married. And we want to tell our story. And they did. And another couple heard them and came and said, that's our story, except it's been a few more years. And the second couple actually at their wedding got all of their children around and said, we need to start with an announcement, an apology, because you know that we have not been living for Christ and we're starting today, and we're asking you to forgive us and give us a fresh start as they became husband and wife. You know, Rudy, on the day that he died, was dying in the hospital and did die that day, gathered around his bed was his wife and his four children, and his ex-wife was there, which was a surprise to me. And while his kids were actually saying their very last goodbyes to their dad in this world, his ex came and stood over next to me, and she said, Rudy told me about getting right with God. He told me about being baptized. I need to be baptized. I need to be right with God. I thought, wow, on the last day of his life, he is, his life is still a witness of the power of forgiveness from Jesus Christ and the difference that God can make. I look at some of the other big deals in our day, and, and for us having a multi-generational church family that has genuine caring for each other, it doesn't just happen. It's because of God's Spirit working in and among us as generations say we're, we're from different generations. Sometimes it seems like we speak different languages, but we care for one another. Another in our churches, we're a kind church. Even when we disagree, people say, tell me about Sasha. So I said, it's kind. I mean, they practice patience and kindness and goodness, which are all the fruit of, uh, fruits of God's Spirit. And then God watches over us. I mean, to think that he took two churches and he brought them together in one church and then he tossed in about 50 or 60, you know, good Presbyterians. Just kind of, it was kind of preordained, I think, really is what happened. But what a huge blessing it has all been as we've worked together to say, how do we lift up Jesus Christ and focus on his word? Then, of course, you know, we got the 5-0 vote from the city of Dana Point, and it was only because of the grace of God. And I, I got thinking, you know, he could have done it an awful lot faster. And he could have done it without us. In fact, he could have just built the whole campus if he wanted. But he must not have wanted to. He probably instead is trying to do something in our hearts and in our city and on our property. And so we just need to learn the lessons and be right in step with him. Another thing that I think is a big deal of South Shores is how you practice generosity. 
The generosity, it just isn't natural. I mean, here's a need, there's a need, and another need, and we could say, you know, that's not our problem. We're going to take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. And, and instead, you don't say that. You just give and give and give. And every time we give to something extra like wells or fires or hurricanes or earthquakes, generosity, it just seems to multiply generosity, not in a way that would be logical. God's at work. You know, and more than one pastor, honestly, more than one time through the last 20 years has said something like, oh, it's probably really easy pastoring in South Orange County because you probably have a couple billionaires in your church and they just, you just ask them and they write you big checks and everything's taken care of. And I said, well, who are those guys? I'd like to meet them. <laughs> Because it hasn't worked that easy. And the truth is we are blessed because lots of people practice generosity in small ways, in large ways. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because God's people just practicing generosity, just being faithful, just doing what God wants them to do. And it, it provides a, a way for, for ministry to be expanded and for us to tell the story of Jesus here and around the world. I could give you other examples, but, you know, time's getting away from me, and, and this is only about as far as I got in the first hour, so I'm feeling kind of pleased, you know, with, with, with how we're doing, and so there'll be more examples at the Twenti party today, you know, if you want to be there, but God is working on us, he's working in us, and he's working through us, and we naturally resist that for some reason. We try to put the brakes on it, but when we finally surrender, the Bible says those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And I am fully convinced, I firmly believe that our best days for South Shores are still in the future. We're not building a brand new campus just for it to be pretty and for us to settle back in and to say, oh, there, we did it. Those are tools that God is going to use to reach this community and around the world for Jesus Christ. And our future is as bright as the promises of God. So kind of one of the funny things even from this week, you know, we gave tours of the campus in Dana Point because of the progress we're, we're seeing in the buildings. And the one building that's on the ocean side of the sanctuary is now, it has a deck that you have this absolutely spectacular view of the golf course and the ocean and everything that's there. And so we happened to have our whole family there this week, all out on the deck, and we said, let's pray. Now, there was kind of humor as you're closing your eyes to pray where you've got this spectacular view. You know what I'm saying? Say, okay, you can pray with your eyes open. But, uh, I mean, we prayed for our family, and we prayed for you. And we prayed for God's blessing. And we prayed that we not bundle up all of God's blessings and stick them on some shelf in our, in our spiritual garage. Because God blessed us to be a blessing. He gave us blessings to share, to give away. I mean, we get to share the good news that God loves you. God forgives you. And if you just ask him, God will include you in his family and in his work and in his eternal home in heaven. And when the whole story of God's work and love in this world is told between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the modern day, when all that, I want our names in the story. I don't want to be left out. Do you? I mean, I, I want to be part of the story where God says, I called people to myself and people responded to my love and my forgiveness and my purpose and my work and they did everything I asked them to do and I filled their hearts with great joy. And they were kind, and they were generous, and they were passionate in prayer, and they were eager to share the good news of Jesus by sending missionaries and planting churches and talking themselves with their neighbors and their family and their friends about Jesus. And I blessed them more and more and more. And look at all the people who are right here in heaven because you were faithful 
and you were fruitful, South Shores. They were fully devoted to me, and I am so pleased. That's what I want to hear God say. Isn't that what you want to hear him say? So for us to just to be about that. Well, let's look at section number four, which is God is awesome. Accept no imitation. Verse 13, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The name of God equals the fame of God. It tells us what God has done in creation and in nature. And everybody should know about the miracles that he's done to deliver people. And God will complete his work. And he wants you to be part of his team. Well, look at it says, by comparison, the idols of the world of these nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. He's saying you can either follow God and become more and more and more like Jesus, or you can try to chase the idols of this world and you'll become more like them. But they can't see, they can't hear, they can't think, they can't reason. They, and there's no life in them. They're dead. There's, a, there's an expanded version of this in Psalm 115. And Timothy Keller said, and I quote, Idols are good things turned into ultimate things because we look to them to give us the significance and security that can only come from God. Anything more important to you than the real God is an alternate God. Idols can't give love, forgiveness, or guidance you need, but they can keep you spiritually blind and unable to see as well as spiritually lame and unable to change. So God gives us a choice. We can either follow him and his name endures forever and you become more and more alive or you can follow these idols in any form, whether the uh, gold and silver is, is uh, something that's shaped or it's something in the shape of a coin. And we get tricked by these idols thinking they're going to satisfy us. But they don't. And people who follow their path become like them. Lifeless, sightless, deaf, and not in a positive, energizing relationship with God. So I'm looking for a parallel that I could show you in a picture. And this is the closest as I could get. Of people who spend so much time with their dog that they actually look like their dog. Okay, okay, okay. Don't get carried away on that one. The Lord has chosen Jacob for his own, Israel as his special treasure. Do you know, Jacob, if you go way back in the Bible, I mean, he's really found it in the back half of the book of Genesis. He worked for his father-in-law for 20 years. He got there because he ran away from a big problem back at home. And at a point in crisis, after 20 years working for his father-in-law and having all kinds of um, children and his growing family, he quit and he left in the middle of the night so he didn't have to talk to his father-in-law. And he took his family and his flocks and his herds and his sheep and his goats without even saying goodbye because that was his pattern. When you get a big problem, run away instead of deal with it. And his father-in-law chased him down and complained, you didn't even say goodbye. And he stole that, besides that, you stole all my idols. And Jacob said, Wait, I didn't steal your idols. Search and see. Well, his wife Rachel had stolen those from her father. She stole the family idols from her family home. And she's hiding them even while they're searching for them. And here Jacob thinks he's following God's leading in his life. And his family is with him. And they're, and they're still at the same time trying to hang on to these securities of the world. And they did her no good. 
Later, at a point of crisis, when Jacob knew that he needed God's help to survive, he told his family, get rid of all those idols. Get right with God. And the Bible still tells us that today. Let go of anything else that would get in your way and just get right with God. There's one last section. Look how this psalm concludes. Praise God. Praise Him more. And that includes us. He says, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. Praise Him. So there you have it. I mean, the psalm gives us a beautiful glimpse of God, and He's way beyond us. But in love, God has reached out to Him, and that pleases Him. And we please Him by how we pray and how we serve and how we give and how we tell others. So we're going to pause and pray, and then we're going to take that offering. Are you ready? Okay, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that God is good. Thank you that praising the Lord is a pleasant thing to do. Thank you that God has chosen us just like he chose Jacob. Thank you that we are your treasured possession. Thank you that you do whatever pleases you, and reaching out to us pleases you. And I thank you, dear Lord, that you endure forever. Now as we give our gifts, may we do so with hearts of gratitude because these gifts go to tell people about Jesus and his love. Amen.